Tonight, as we consider our Passion Week, we are going to focus on Judas Iscariot. And I'm calling this um, message tonight, Betrayed by a Friend. Betrayed by a Friend. And you can see I have a verse, Mark chapter 14, verse 18, where Jesus says, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. Now, as we consider Judas Iscariot, there is, there, is no, um, uh, there, there is no way to look at him and just kind of feel sorry for him. We, we should not consider Judas and say, you know, he was just uh, in the wrong place at the wrong time, that he was just a victim of circumstance. None of that applies to Judas. There is this, uh, this uh, apocryphal work. It's called the, the Gospel According to Judas. It is not a part of Scripture. It is just uh, work that has been discovered. It's been around for a long time, a lot longer than I realized. Uh, Irenaeus, one of the first, uh, one of the early church fathers actually wrote against that little epistle. And I was reading it today. And uh, basically what the epistle says is that Judas was the only one who had spiritual insight and all the other disciples, they were fooled and deceived and, and just uh, way off base. And that's just, uh, that, that's just some of the wrong things that it says. There's a reason why it was never part of the scriptures. But you cannot, uh, if you read that, he still betrays Jesus in the epistle of Judas. But you, you cannot uh, take a, a look at Judas like this epistle does and say, well, you know, he, he, was, a, he was the good one and everybody, all the others were the bad one. That, that's just a wrong view of Judas. This is what the Bible says concerning Judas. And I have... Here, a picture of Judas kind of skulking out. He's leaving the Last Supper when Jesus dismisses him. But this is, these are some of the verses that the Bible says concerning Judas. First of all, this is John chapter 12, verse 6. Then he said, not, this he said, this is Judas. Uh, this is when uh, someone anointed Jesus' feet with some very costly perfume. He said, shouldn't we have sold it and given it to the poor? Judas said that. This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box, and he used to take what was put in it. So Judas was a thief. John 6, chapter, John chapter 6, verse 64. There are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. So that verse speaks of Judas as being one who does not believe. He is an unbeliever. John chapter 17, verse 12. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And so Judas is called the son of perdition, or the son of destruction. And he was the son of destruction in order to fulfill scripture. John chapter 6, verse 70 says, Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the twelve, and one of you is a devil? John chapter 13, verse 2. Now all of those verses speak of what Judas was like. This is prior to the events of Jesus' death as they unfold. Now some of these verses take place at those events or during the course of those events. John chapter 13, verse 2. And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, 
to betray him. And so the, the devil is at work with Judas. John chapter 13, verse 27. Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him into Judas. Then Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. Speaking of his betrayal. And then Luke chapter 22, verse 3. Then Satan entered Judas, surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. Well, if Judas was the devil, if Judas was of the devil, why did Jesus choose him? Surely he knew that he was the devil. Why did he choose him? And I have several suggestions here. First of all, Judas serves as an object lesson. Now, what I mean by that is uh, we have this passage in Luke chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, and it's, not, it's in several places. This is where Je- Jesus has selected the twelve, and they are with him. Now, even though Judas, he knew what was in the heart of Judas, he did not treat Judas like an enemy. As a matter of fact, he treated him in every respect like he was one of his disciples, because in fact, he was one of his disciples. Jesus had chosen him to be one of his disciples. And so all of the benefits and the blessings that he had given to the other disciples, he gave to Judas as well. As a matter of fact, uh, when we consider the Last Supper, Judas, of course, is present, and they are trying to figure out, we'll we'll come to this in a moment, but I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on it, but they were trying to figure out, Jesus had said, one of you is going to betray me, and they're trying to figure out who. And it turns out that Judas was in the place of honor sitting at the at the, the, the Last Supper, the Lord's table there, and he actually receives the first bit of the bread, which is an act of kind of love and, and reaching out uh, to Judas. So my point is that in every respect, Jesus treats Judas as one of his disciples, and I believe that he's doing that, making the effort to... That, you know, trying to get Judas to repent of his sins and to yield himself to the Lord. So, in Luke chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, Then he called the twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent to them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So Judas is going to be one of the, the disciples who have been given this power and authority that Jesus gives to him. So he is among the twelve. He is going out. He is... Um, he has authority over the demons. He is, he is curing diseases for a period of time. This is Judas. He is engaging in these, this activity of the Lord. Why? Because the Lord has been treating him as one of the disciples. And he serves as an object lesson because, uh, of course, he's doing this, but he's still not believing or unrepentant of his sin. And in Matthew chapter 7, verses 20, 22 and 23, we have these sobering verses. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And so what we learn from this and what we learn from observing Judas is that service and activity does not necessarily translate into salvation. There are many people throughout history who have been involved in the church and very active and very service-oriented, but they never have had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And it is only by coming to Jesus and confessing your sins and yielding your life to Him that brings about true salvation. 
And then all of our service and activity should follow from that. But it is possible, and this is the caution that is presented to us, to be service-oriented and full of activity in the church and not be saved. We, we also see Judas. Now, Jesus, like I said, he's treating all of the disciples the same, and he considers Judas his friend. And so friendship to the Lord doesn't necessarily mean that we have salvation. And also, we have to be on guard because while we might speak or give the appearance of being of Jesus, if our heart is in love with the things of the world, and if our heart is in love with like money, like Judas, who sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, then we do not have that salvation. And so Judas serves as an object lesson of what it can mean for someone who does not know the Lord, but yet is there present with the Lord and serving with the Lord and acting in all, you know, for all appearances like he should. The second reason that Jesus chose Judas, and, and by the way, it's um, these first two here are kind, if you look this up uh, and try to do some research on it, these first two, to serve as an object lesson and to fulfill scripture, these are kind of the standard answers that you're going to come across as to why Jesus chose Judas. Um, in my own heart, it's really this, the last one, the third one that we get to that I think is probably the most important one. But anyway, we have this second one that Jesus chose Judas in order to fulfill Scripture. Now, uh, in other words, there are Scripture passages that prophesy that Jesus is going to be betrayed, and so uh, Jesus kind of picked someone who would betray him, and he's doing it in order to fulfill Scripture. Now, at first blush, this might sound kind of self-serving. You know, well, Jesus knew the Old Testament, and he knew there he was really in tune with all the prophecies concerning him. And so, you know, for that reason, he went ahead and he picked someone, a critic may say. And uh, um, that might sound like a, a, a real criticism against, you know, Jesus and his ministry. However, even if he did know, which he did, he knew the scriptures and he knew the prophecies and all of that. And even if he acted simply just to fulfill them, but he did act to fulfill them because he fulfilled the entire law and the prophets. He is the fulfillment of the word of God. Nevertheless, there is still, uh, assuming somebody like a great prophet came along and was trying to fulfill all of the passages, you know, the prophecies, you, you still can't be guaranteed that you're going to pick one person who in turn is going to reject you and end up betraying you. you that would be out of your control if you weren't, you know, God who was in control of everything. And so even this criticism that, well, Jesus is being self-serving and trying to fulfill all the prophecies concerning him really doesn't hold uh, much water because not everything is under control. But Jesus shows that he does know a whole lot of what's going on. And when he looks at Jesus, he knows exactly who Jesus is, Judas, who Judas is. When, he, when Jesus looks at Judas, he knows who Judas is, what Judas is going to do, how it's all going to end up, and that no matter how much he reaches out to Judas, that Judas will still betray him. Um, John chapter 6, verse 70 says, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and one of you is a devil? 
I was reading in a commentary, and this commentary is by D.A. Carson, and he's just, uh, just been a well-known uh, biblical scholar for many, many years, and he's written many things and many commentaries. He's, he, in his commentary on John, he says this about that, the, that the verse should be translated this way. Did I not choose you, the twelve, and one of you is the devil? Because there's an article in the Greek. And what that reveals is that when Jesus saw Judas, he saw the devil. He knew that the devil was there with Judas and uh, behind what Judas has, uh, was going to do. So Judas did not become the devil. He was already the devil when Jesus picked him. So again, there's no reason to feel sorry for Judas. He was a despicable creature. He was of the devil. He was evil to the core. Now, here's uh, the, last, the last reason, I think, why Jesus chose Judas. And it is to conquer the most grievous attack. Now, what I mean by that is this. Here we have Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, and he appears on earth. He is the most important person that has ever lived in the history of mankind. And he is so important because, well, he is God with us, Emmanuel. He had come to complete the work of God, to bring the kingdom of God, and to forgive sin so that we might have eternal life. No one even approaches the importance and significance of Jesus Christ. I don't think anybody would dispute that. But you can imagine that when the most important person in history shows up, the number one enemy who seeks to destroy all the work of God, who hates God down to his core, is going to show up as well and do everything that he can to overturn and to thwart the work of God. And so we're not surprised. I mean, immediately at the birth of Jesus, the devil is inciting destruction upon him. He moves on Herod, who is also an, a, a horrible person. He moves in Herod's heart to kill all the children two years old and under in Bethlehem. What a, that, that, what a horrific act that was. And then, of course, when Jesus came onto the scene at 30 years old and he was driven by the Spirit into the wilderness, who showed up but the devil in order to tempt him? If the devil could get Jesus to fall in one point, if he could cause him to sin just one little sin, he would have him. And so he tempted him. And at the end of the temptations and the trials, Jesus rebuked the devil and he had to flee. Well, the devil was just kind of waiting and waiting and waiting. And of course, you know, he's trying and he's plotting and he's scheming all along trying to get Jesus. And here is his final attempt and it is with this person Judas. And the attack comes in the guise of friendship, like I already mentioned. And in the Psalms, we have these prophecies, or these, these verses concerning friendship and, and um, just that, that kind of rebellion and uh, breaking trust. It says in Psalm 55, 12 through 14, For it is not an enemy who reproaches, then I could bear it. Nor is it one who hates me who has exalted himself against me. Then I could hide from it. In other words, if our enemy comes against us, hey, well, you know, we don't expect anything less from our enemies. 
But it was you, a man my equal, my companion and my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked in the house of God in the throng. In Psalm 41, 9, Even my own familiar friend, in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, he has lifted up his heel against me. And, and just, just kind of remember this word heel here because it was way back in Genesis and I think it's kind of related. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, Adam and Eve have just eaten from the tree that they're not supposed to eat and God comes to the man and he says it was the woman's fault and so God goes to the woman and she said it was the devil's fault and so God went to the devil and cursed him. And part of the curse says this in Genesis 3, 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And I think that, again, this is, this is just obvious, but from that moment the devil has been at work hard to destroy and to overturn what God has been doing in this earth. And so this, uh, this whole ploy is his effort and attempt to overtake Jesus and to bring him to nothing and to conquer God's work so that it is destroyed and comes to nothing. And of course, when you think that you have nailed him to the cross and he can't be the king now and he's going to die and he sheds his blood and uh, you have his soul because all of a sudden he's got the sins of the world and you, and you grab him and you drag him down and then he just peels the hand away and rises from the dead and it's all over. He has lost. And so Satan threw what he could at him and he could not overcome him. And in a sense, Jesus allowed this. He's basically, if I, if I can paraphrase this, Jesus says to the devil, give it your best shot. I'm going to let you do anything you want. You can try anything you want, and I will let you do it, and we will see who comes out victorious. That's why Jesus chose Judas, I think. All right. Our third point, Jesus, Judas betrayed Jesus. If I'm confusing my Judases and Jesuses, man, I, I'm going to have to repent later, but I hope you can fix my gaffes in the meantime. But uh, Judas betrayed Jesus, rejecting his love. So like I said, you know, Jesus is treating Judas like one of the disciples all along the way, and I made reference to the Last Supper and there were some other things. But, but listen to John chapter 13, verses 21 through 27. It says, when Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. So Jesus is broken up by this. Then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his, 12, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore motioned him. This, this is John, I, I think. Motioned to him and said uh, to him, to ask who it was of whom he spoke. Then leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it first to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him, and Jesus said to him, What you do, do quickly. And then, of course, we have well, here's the Jesus' uh, last offering um, to him. 
This is at the Last Supper. And then we have, I guess you didn't have a chance to see it, but uh, after this, there was the kiss that the, by which Judas betrays Jesus. So that's our next sub-point here, the kiss. And um, this, is, this is interesting. Judas, Judas is showing the soldiers who Jesus is. Now, I mean, did they not know? Well, they might have been the Roman soldiers, and the Roman soldiers might not have been, you know, as engaged as some of you know, the Jewish people were, and so they may not have known. It's possible. But there's, there's this, the, the idea of the being betrayed by your friend is just, just keeps on coming up all the way to the end here. Judas, Jesus says to Judas as he comes with all of these, with the mob, and he comes up to him, he turns to Judas and he says, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? Now, the kiss is a typical greeting of that part of the world, and so, you know, this is not an unusual thing for him to greet, to greet him or for them to greet one another. But, I, but when you greet someone like that, you are giving the appearance of being close to them, of being their friend. And so Judas, even up to this last moment, is giving the appearance to Jesus of being his friend. So on the outside, he is looking like he's his friend, but on the inside, he is just full of evil wickedness, betraying him. Psalm 55, verses 20 through 22, it says, He has put forth his hands against those who are at peace with him. He has broken his covenant. The words of his mouth were smoother than butter, but war was in his heart. This is describing Judas, I think, here. Well, I mean, this is, what Judas might have been, you know, kind of going through. The words of his mouth were smoother than butter, but war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet there were drawn swords. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. And so Judas betrays Jesus with a kiss. Our last point is the end of Judas. The end of Judas. Let me read Matthew chapter 26, verses 20 through 25. When evening had come, he sat down with the twelve. Now as they were eating, he said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were exceedingly sorrowful. And each of them began to say to him, Lord, is it I? He answered and said, He who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. Then Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Rabbi, is it I? He said to him, You have said it. And then Acts chapter 1, verse 16. Men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered with us and obtained a part of this, in this ministry. Now this man, Judas, purchased a field with the wages of iniquity. That's the 30. He received 30 coins for betraying Jesus. He went and he bought a field with that. And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his entrails gushed out. That is the end of Judas. And he perished. And I think as we consider this, 
the, the greatest encouragement to me, and, and hopefully you can take some of this with you, is that the, the, the devil can just throw his worst at us. He can, he can, he can just, just throw it all at us. He can throw the worst he has against us, and nothing can overcome the love that Jesus has for us. So praise be to God as we consider his death and his resurrection during this week that Jesus has done something significant and eternal for us. We have eternal life because of his death on the cross and because of his resurrection from the dead.